Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Evening Jones. Like, um, we typically record this at 9 o'clock uh, in the evening on a weekday, which normally means that I've been talking for like three hours and then get a little food break. And then I come in here and do this with y'all. And I need to be better about this because if you're doing something like this, you need to have a consistency that your audience can grow accustomed to, right? Like, I, I get that. And I, I really do. Man, but I ain't going to give it to you if I don't feel like it. Like, I'd rather you skip it than me give you that nonsense. Now, granted, sometimes I might mess around and I, like, give you guys, like, 38 minutes or something like that. 38 greater than zero. You know what I mean? I'm going to give you a good 38 if I'm going to give you a 38. Um, Anyway, I typically like to start uh, the show with some sort of anecdote or something for my life just kind of gets a little warmed up, you know. You know, that was a little insight, right? A little look into, you know. Me or something like that. You know, I ain't really telling you much, but I give you this. So I can't remember if I talked about this on the podcast before. If I did talk about it on the podcast before, I'm going to talk about it again because I still think it is an observation that needs to be made, which is I figured out what is one of the coolest things about living in New York City that I feel like I need to start, um, like I need to cash in on it. I haven't really cashed in on it as of yet. I need to cash in on that thing. And you know what the thing is that you can do when you live in New York City? Hold on, let me check something. Yeah, that'll make the sound better. You know what this thing is that you can do in New York City that you can, like, kind of do in other places, but you can't really do in other places? The whole city is a shower in New York City. That's right. It's all a shower. And I imagine that you're over there thinking to yourself that this is like wildly counterintuitive, the idea that New York City would be a shower because the people don't associate New York City with being clean. After all, they just be putting trash on the street here. It's whole, you know, they kick it a little different. But the reason I say that New York City is a shower, you can break out into song wherever you want. Now, you may not have thought about this in this way, but you really can break into song whenever you want. So I want you to think about this for a second. And once I explain it, I think you'll realize this. And then suddenly on your trips to New York, you will realize that you probably haven't been really maximizing the opportunity that was presented before you. Hey, man. People just be making noise here all the time in all kinds of ways, man. People be on the street talking loud. Like, conversations be loud as hell with the person next to them. Conversations be loud as hell on the phone. And it's a real trip now with the phones. People got these wireless, you know, these wireless headphones. And the headphones got the microphone in them. And you can talk on the phone like that. And they just be walking. And they just be talking. Maybe they FaceTime or whatever it is, man. But they be talking loud. Like, I don't know what it is about this place that just compels people to talk loud but they be talking loud as hell saying all kind of wild shit too but like just more importantly they be out here like really talking loud like that's what they do and so one day i was walking around i walk around with headphones all the time right like i got all this new york city walking or whatever it is might as well get my listen all frame my mood in the way that i wish for my mood to be framed so i can't remember what it was but i realized at some point not even realizing i was listening to this prince playlist and i got off the train and, you know, I wasn't like singing it loud, but I decided I wanted to uh, sing along with another lover holding your head. That was just what I wanted to do. I wanted to sing along with another lover holding your head. And it dawned on me, all this wild stuff that goes on at the train, that goes on at the intersection while we're waiting on the walk light, 
Like all these things that happen. And the people in New York City just keep looking straight ahead. That's what they do. They just keep looking straight ahead. Like I don't know what it is that you really have to do to break people's concentration when they're on the subway, right? There's just really not much that you can do that they won't really peep game. Now, I think it's like a little bit rude to do this sort of thing on the subway, but either way it goes, people in this city are absolutely trained and conditioned to ignore the noise that other people are making. And so if they have already made the decision that they are going to ignore what's going on, what is there to stop you from singing at the top of your lungs wherever you are? That's right. There is nothing to stop you from singing at the top of your lungs because everybody else is allowed to do all this other crazy stuff. People are allowed to run up on you trying to convert you onto some kind of religion. You know what I'm saying? People are allowed to break dance, right? They be pole dancing on the subway, but it ain't the way you want it. They be allowed to do all that. If they can do all of that, why can I not sing along with another lover holding your head? So I feel like as my time in New York is more spent, I'm going to spend more time just being random places and just start singing. I may wind up on Snapchat or something like that, but I'm just saying, why not? Like, I'll make that part of the New York experience. You never know. You'll be walking around and be like, yo, man. I know this going you probably not going to believe me man but uh I could have swore I just saw Bomani like waiting in line at Popeyes and I'm pretty sure he was singing love and happiness Yeah So you need to get us a thought the next time you're in New York the only thing is if I'm around could you please not sing I want to hear that Never said this whole thing approach that I had to this was not hypocritical. Anyway, let us move on to your questions. All right. How was your high school reunion? Yes, so some of you know I went to my high school reunion last year. Caught me a flight to Houston, went out to Walla for the reunion. Um, a couple thoughts on that. First, um, as I have moved to a new city, one thing about moving to a new city is like you learn how long all the flights are. And you probably haven't like I just hadn't really given a whole lot of thought to how long flights were in different cities. So like I moved to Miami. And one thing that I realized in moving to Miami is Miami isn't really close to anything. Right. So like pretty much everything from Miami. I mean, Atlanta wasn't, but pretty much everything is like a two and a half hour flight from Miami. Right, if you're going to fly, I mean, that's just that's just kind of uh, how it rolls. What I am also learning about New York City is that basically everything is a like three hour flight from here. Like anywhere I'm pretty much going to catch a flight to unless I'm going to go to Durham. I think that one's about two, two and some change. But pretty much anywhere I'm going to get on a plane to as far as hell, man, that flight, at least on the on the ticket was listed as four hours, four hours from New York to Houston. Oh, sorry. I tried to hit mute as a sneeze. Yeah, now it works. Um, Anyway, it was like a four-hour flight to Houston, right? I caught the, man, was it the 8 o'clock? I'm really not about these early morning flights in this day and time. Anyway, yeah, every, every flight from New York apparently is far. So I went to Houston. I had a good time. Um, I went, so this is always difficult for me to explain to people because I don't think people really understand where it is that I'm from. Okay. So I grew up 
in, I guess you call it Houston, right? Like, there's no really easy way to put it, right? We're way far northwest, but the mailing address said Houston. For all I know, it's been annexed by now. But anyway, that's where I grew up. I went to town. I went to school, however, in a town about twenty-seven miles away called Walla, because my parents uh, worked at Prairie View, and they were not. They they weren't encouraged by the uh, demographics of the, the schools that I would have gone to, and they wanted to make sure that I had a proper cross section of blackness in the school that I went to. One of the greatest decisions they ever made, by the way. We can talk about that another day. It's a long discussion, but anyway. So in school out there, now town's got like fifteen hundred people. Um, you know, one of those where the town, the schools get people from like neighboring towns and it's all one district, you know, and then everybody comes. Okay, cool. So anyway, I roll out there and I've, I think I've talked about this before, but I am always interested when I go there because I, I don't know if I had been out there since the 10 year reunion and this was the 20 year reunion. So I feel like you can do the math. I will not do it for you. But um, I found myself the last time I went at once shocked by how much more there was out there and also shocked that I did not have a like proper concept of how little there was that was going on and I think I wound up like in a similar place where I made the ride this time because there's even more stuff than there was before right like all kinds of stuff but I didn't really I guess you do something every day. Like I didn't really have a great handle on like how small a town it was that we were dealing with, but I have like overwhelmingly positive experiences from going to school there. The only thing, man, and I'm wondering about this for other people, um, like going to high school reunions who went to schools that were fairly integrated. Right. Because I would say that this school I went to was not, um, so like in like the high achieving courses, it was a smaller uh, a collection of black people, certainly. But there was never a point at this school that I was like, wow, we don't have any black people here. Like, it was never even close to that, right? And I felt that, to at least a certain degree, like, the interactions between, you know, black people and white people, like, I speak primarily about that because Mexicans were a little bit of a different situation sometimes because of language. But, like, I felt there was, there was like, a decent level of interaction and all that stuff, right? So I graduated, I graduated from high school in 1997. And I always say that the 90s, the 90s came with a particular optimism about race that I don't think has been present at least um, in this way in the 20th century. Um, Think about it, like the cross colors, right? Like 91, 92, whatever, we out there wearing them ugly cross colors. Like the hottest thing in the world to wear clothes to be like, yo, ain't no racism. Are we going to drop this? Like that was kind of where people were and all that evolved or whatever. I say all that to say that it was a much different world in 1997 in many ways than it is in 2017. And I am very curious, like who it is that gets a little nervous about what might happen uh, when you come to your high school reunion. Because Facebook has demonstrated to us in many ways that some of the people that we were friends with in high school are saying things uh, that may perhaps make it difficult for you guys to be friends here in 2017. Um, So, like, before I went in uh, for the – we were meeting up at the homecoming guy. And so before I went in there, I was on the phone with my mom, and I was like, yeah, boy, I sure hope this goes okay. (laughs) Like, I don't know who to – I don't know who to flipped it up or whatever it is. Like, I don't know what to make of anything anymore. Right. So anyway, I go in. And so the problem we got here is the reunion itself was not particularly well organized. I got no beef whoever was organizing because I didn't do nothing. Right. But I get to the game and I realize I'm like, hey, man, I got no idea where it is that I'm supposed to be. None. Like zero. 
And one thing I was really not interested in doing is trying to walk around at this stadium and try to go through the crowd and try to find people whom I have not seen in 20 years and try to recognize them and then go from there. That was, I really want to hear for that. Like that, 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 that had a lot that could like go wrong there. And so like, after we all stumbled across each other, we, you know, we wound up getting right. Let me tell you something I thought about that happens when you go to a high school reunion that I feel like you should be prepared for if has not happened to you. I ain't calling out no names. Cause I mean, it ain't really no joke on the dude, but this is just a legitimate, um, right. This is a legitimate observation. I had the hardest time making out who this one dude was at the reunion. And I finally did. And the reason that I had such a hard time making out who he was, was that in high school, I remember him having a full head of hair and no facial hair at this reunion. There he was with a lot of facial hair and not very much on top. And so I needed to try to like put all these things together to figure out who this person was. So I'm just kind of like warning you from when this goes on. Now, my man there says, aren't you the most famous person from your high school? I mean, I guess I would you know, probably qualify as being the most famous person at my high school from when I was there. I still contend that the most famous graduate of my high school is probably a dude named Chris Martin, who uh, works professionally under the name DJ Premier. Now, you could probably say, like, in contemporary terms, I'd be the most, like, famous person from the high school, but I ain't as good at what I do as uh, Primo is at what he does. So, you know, either way. But that was fun. I actually, I'm kind of curious in some ways of the ways that, like, people look at their experiences, like, in high school and stuff like that. Because I think that people, you know, I think all of us, well, not all of us, but a lot of us just kind of have a, like, uh, there's certain like too cool for school element about going to high school reunions and people are always like, but I don't really want to see those people. But I mean, I've done two of these and like, this is to the point where I'm like, I almost hoping they do one at 25, some more people to show up. Cause we ain't had that many people there. But um, I don't know if like my high school experience was not really like emblematic of what is common for people, but like I went back to both of these and it was always good to see people no matter what. Right. Like no matter what it was, like everything, it was always like overwhelmingly positive. It always felt good just to kind of catch up with people. Because one thing about it, at least for us, because I mean, our high school graduating class is like 200 or something like that. Right. So I got a, like a positive memory pretty much tied up with everybody. It is all these things that you ain't laughed at in years that wind up coming up when you come to the to a reunion. But before I went, I had like cats hit me up on the Internet and they talking about it. And it was like, um. You know, you're going to go to your reunion to stun on people. And I'm like, yo, why would I do that? Like, I don't have any, like, personally, I'm, you know, I, was, I don't think I was popular a day in my life. Like, that's never been the way that I characterize myself. But, um, no. Like, why would, I mean, I, and I guess there's some people who like look at their high school years and they think about the people who picked all them or whatever it was and they want to go back and they want to show them what's what or whatever it is. Man, don't nobody give a damn about that. Like, don't nobody, like, nobody thinking about that. Don't nobody really care. You know, like you go and you find out where people are, what people are, you know, what they're up to. You know, they're married, they got kids, they show you stuff like that. You know, funny stories wind up popping up and then you go ahead and like you kick it from there so like one thing i felt like i noticed at least for me at my reunion and the people i talked to was it's like so if we're gonna be real about this 
so I am, I guess, in the like in the realm of what I do for a living, and you know, there's a visibility that comes with it, certainly. But there's certain rarefied air in where I am, right? I don't really think there's anyone who's known me for that long who is terribly surprised at where I've ended up, right? I think that there are probably more people who know me who are surprised that I flunked out of graduate school than are surprised that I, like, pulled this off. If we're going to be honest, like that was one funny thing and talking to people, they're just like, yo, man, you know, they talk about sports. It was like, yo, that's what he was doing back then. You know what I mean? Like they, like that's kind of the way that it came across. And so for me, it was a very comfortable thing in the sense that I felt like I was around a lot of people who were legitimately happy for me, but it didn't feel like jock riding. You know what I mean? Like they know you. And for me, like those sorts of environments are comfortable. So when people will talk about like a circumstance like that and that maybe you want to go in there and you want to stun on people. No, 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 no. What's dope about a circumstance like that, at least for me, is being able to be around people who don't care about the stunt. You know, because now, you know, 21st century and how everything goes or whatever. You know, you meet somebody, they find out your name, they go look you up, boom. You know, so if you meet, for example, you ain't got to do no whole lot of clicks to figure out a whole lot of stuff um, that there is about me. So it kind of feels to a degree that not every single person, but by and large, like everybody I meet from here on out, you know, like they're going to evaluate me in the context of being the dude on TV. And that throws people off, right? Because they, it's a, that's almost like a mythical notion to them. So like, if they don't know what you do on TV, they almost feel like ashamed, you know, and they feel like they have to explain to you, well, you know, I've never really seen you on TV. I'm like, yeah, you got a job. Show comes on at 4.30. You know, like, it's not that, well, you know, when I did that show, like, it's not really that big a thing, but that once you start doing something like that, everybody that you meet is going to deal with you with that in mind. And that thing doesn't really have anything to do with you or with who you are. Now, it can um, for a lot of people, I suppose, like change the way they kick it or whatever it is, you know, and they want to be acknowledged as that person there. But if you don't want to be acknowledged as such, oh, no, 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 no. You go to something like a high school reunion for the opposite of stunting, you know? And again, dude, we out there kicking it off a 362, man. We went to some bar couple places down from the gas station, just posted up people, you know, people doing like the, the, you know, a little country two step out there on the dance floor. Cat I went to high school with DJs there on, um, Friday nights, you know, somebody went and got a bucket of Bud Light, uh, limes and brought them on the table, you know, stuff like that. Stunt. What I'm gonna do, right? Like pull up to that in the limousine. That's a good way to get robbed. Anyway. Had a good time. Appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. Somebody asked me to go to homecoming stories. I ain't go to homecoming. I ain't go to homecoming, A, because my reunion was the same weekend. But the other reason I ain't go to homecoming is uh, when they do that thing where it's homecoming for all the schools, I don't feel like sharing no homecoming with them. All right. Where is this one? I just... Damn, I just saw it and I feel like I rolled past it. 
All right, let me go. Oh, this happens where I'm like going through the questions and then somebody I think votes it up. And the next thing I know, I can't find it. And by the way, um, I'm at that point. I think all of us have been there at some point when your computer starts running just a little bit slow. That's never a good feeling. Hold on. Damn. I feel like I saw a great question. And then I lost it. Okay, we'll go with this one. Now that it's been five years, can we definitively say Good Kid, Mad City was the best rap album uh, released this decade? I mean, I suppose that you can say it if you want to. And Good Kid, Mad City is a very, very, very good record. And if that's your one for the best rap album of the decade, I'm not going to be the one to, like, argue with you about it. However, and I acknowledge that, like, I don't keep up with these things. Um in the ways that I used to. So I'm not necessarily like an authority on these sorts of things. However, I still do not think that good kid, Mad city is better than my beautiful dog twisted fantasy. Yeah. I still take that one over good kid, Mad city. In fact, um, I'll be curious to see how we revisit it in a couple of years. Cause I think a lot of people are going to wind up taking damn, over good kid uh mad city let me think if there's anything else um i enjoy now we can get you can get your own discussion about what's best and everything else but i enjoy listening to malibu more than i enjoy listening to good kid mad city now uh, granted one of the things i've said about kendrick is and I used to be a person that did not like mu- like fun, feel-good music because I think life ain't that sweet. Um, as I've gotten older, I've seen a greater value for like that sort of emotional resonance. And Kendrick is great at spelling out what's hard and spelling out, uh, I would suppose, for lack of a better term, what's bad. I do not believe that he does a good job of catch, capturing the joy of life. Not even like the little simple joys. It's not there, right? Like it's, it, there's a, there's a real, uh, and like even when he talks about like God and religion, it, it's always like the or else stuff that I feel like, um, he focuses on. And you know, nah, 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 nah. I'm good there. Um, I'm, I'm good there. That's not the, that's not the way I need to play. So, yeah, I mean, I could understand and I, God knows I do not want to argue with you, Kendrick Stans, because you just, lo- you, you care about this in a way that I don't. You understand what I'm saying? Like, I just, I, I, I don't want to fight. I don't care enough about that dude to fight in the way that y'all going to be wanting me to fight. Anyway, appreciate the question. Let's move on to this one. Uh, how is R. Kelly still getting over? Um, I don't know how many of you saw the Rolling Stones story, but they did a pretty a deep dive uh, with a woman who was a DJ in Dallas, and she wound up like becoming one of R. Kelly's. I mean, I don't even know what the term is to use, but she quit a job 
to go like live at R. Kelly, become a one, become a woman in R. Kelly's world, and then got like totally caught in the swirl. And it's like it's crazy, like pimp cult type shit. Like I see elements of it that absolutely mirror what pimps do. There are elements of it that absolutely mirror what cults do. I'm not sure where the line is between the two. And honestly, I don't know enough about cults to know how much of them like really get down like pimping. But a lot of that, as I'm looking at it, look like pimping, right? So I think the part of that story, at least because I haven't really paid too much to what exactly people are saying about it in the aftermath. I know people have had different things to say, but I don't know like what exactly um, people are saying. But it's hard not to be struck by the fact that the woman that we're talking about was a grown-up, right? Like, she was a real, live adult. That is the part that, for me, was like, her. So how exactly did this happen? Right, and so... You do not want to get to a place of blaming a victim, right? That is not what you want to do. And she absolutely appears to have been the victim of a pretty significant level of abuse. Like she talked about him beating the hell out of her. It's all kinds of stuff, right? Like, so there's, there's no question um, about that. But I also think that it is perfectly fair for observers to be surprised that an adult who worked around the music industry could be so struck by the idea that he is R. Kelly to like kick it with him a little in the first place and then quit her job to live full time with him. Now, even with the stuff now, I will say like even with the stuff with the underage girls that we had heard and demonstrated that he was kind of off on something else, the details of what she says came like from living in the house with him or like they are in line with what uh, Derek Goddess, the dude from the Chicago Sun-Times, or he used to work there, had written about R. Kelly basically having a sex cult, more or less. Like the way that it went and the ways that people there treated him and everything else, all of that absolutely seems to be in line. And I do believe that it is fair to wonder how exactly this happened. Like strictly on the strength of him being R. Kelly? Right? And, you know... I do think one thing worth considering when we see or hear these stories of women or people getting caught up um, with R. Kelly is I think that there's a tendency, especially in this era of the Internet and um, social media world, that if someone demonstrates himself or herself to be what we deem a bad person on any level. And I think with R. Kelly, there's no mystery to like the bad person thing. Right. But I do think that we have a tendency to, um, want to dismiss what it is that they do well. Right. But they do well. And so with R. Kelly, I think it is perfectly legitimate. And as someone who's like by and large done this himself over the last 15 years, that it is perfectly legitimate 
to decide, no, I'm not listening to R. Kelly anymore, right? But don't lie and say that R. Kelly ain't put out a whole lot of jamming music. Now, that is not to say that the jamming music that R. Kelly has put out is at all an absolution of fault for anything that he's done or that there is any, like, balancing of the moral scale because R. Kelly is dope, right? But R. Kelly is dope, and R. Kelly is dope in a way that comes close to approaching, I think one would argue, a level of genius. And people get caught up in that. Like, that's the thing. People get caught up in that. Now, should they get caught up to, like, this level of depth? Probably not. But I think that it could be very easy, like, the situation that kind of that woman described. is just like, yo, it's R. Kelly. Why not? Just see what happens, right? And then you see what happens. And next thing you know, you're living in R. Kelly's house. Now, I feel like also, and the story is pretty thorough, but I do kind of feel like, it's got to be some levels that we don't have to motivate you to quit your job to move into R. Kelly's house. Right? Like, not like quit your job to go to another job in the same city as R. Kelly and then y'all live together. I mean, quit your job to go move in to R. Kelly's house. Yeah. There's something there, even as I got to the end, and even with like demonstrating a level of empathy for the woman, I did find to be a bit shocking. Because I think that also for a lot of us that we have, pedophile is not exactly the word. I think there's a like technical specification for what R. Kelly's apparent dysfunction is. Apparent, apparent, so nobody sues me. Apparent dysfunction um, happens to be. But I think that we had viewed him basically in the context of someone who was doing these abusive things to children, right? That is the way that we saw it. And so we were asking the question, like, how in the world could these parents bring these women or bring these girls to R. Kelly knowing what they know? What we got here is basically the equivalent of these parents bringing themselves, right? Like, you take the kids out of the equation. This is like parents bringing themselves. And I wonder if, like, for these adults, that they're looking at it like, oh, yeah, I'll be good. You know, like, yeah, there's there's, there's definitely a big problem with the idea of people walking their kids up there, certainly. But they're like, I'm grown. I can take care of myself. The next thing you know, R. Kelly done took your phone. And you're trying to send people messages while you out asking for friends to send you a burner phone because he won't let you talk to anybody for months. Right. So, I mean, I think we knew the depravity of R. Kelly. It's actually almost, I think there's something, and maybe this is just me, and maybe it's just the method in which I process this, but there's something odd about the way that, like, there's something odd about finding out that he behaves this way also with grown-ups that makes it, like, even worse. And not that what's happening with the grown-ups is any worse than what happened with the underage children, but it's all I mean, underage women, but it's almost like those almost feel like two separate things, right? Like it feels like the one thing is just this absolute no, that where they are. I don't know. Like that's the thing. It's so wild that this could have gone on in the ways that it did. And yo, man, he's still out there. And those women are gonna say that they are there voluntarily. 
And what's anybody going to do? Like, I think the BuzzFeed story talked about people going to the FBI and there was nothing they could do. So what do you do? I appreciate the question. Let me see uh, what else we got here. Wow, that, like, took the wind out of everything. Man, let me go find something with some jokes in it. No, this question about Michael Jackson, we're definitely not going there. Oh, so I was done answering that one, too. What your favorite black movie from the 90s? Now, I would like to start also, by the way. You know, I generally don't like getting caught into what's your black whatever it is. I'm not into doing this to ourselves, but also acknowledge that. I mean, there's a certain wing of cinema here that we are discussing and certain similarities between a lot of these movies. So it's not just like as patently ridiculous as it could seem otherwise. But I would say probably my favorite quote unquote black movie um, from the era of black movies, as you are describing is not one that you're necessarily going to go to at first. Cause I feel like in a lot of ways, like the lower the quality of the movie, uh, the more likely you are to think of it in the context of its blackness right and not so much quality but like production value stuff like that right like i feel like friday for example a nice low budget flick as such and then you got like your boys in the hoods uh the whole john singleton suite which has its own issues and discussion you got your minister societies right you got your juice you got your uh, what, what 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 else we got that's uh along those lines you know they, you know you know you understand what i'm saying there and then the ones that are just flat out stupid like what was that booty call with jamie fox like i was real dumb Hey, man, that's some shitty movies, too. Did anybody see Caught Up with Cinder Williams and Bokeem Woodbine? And I know you guys telling me that Bokeem Woodbine's become a halfway decent actor. He's on The Walking Dead, one of them shows I don't watch. But, man, Bokeem Woodbine's the worst actor of all time. I'll never forget on uh, Bo- Bokeem Woodbine. Bokeem Woodbine said something to her in that movie because she had told him some cockamamie story, some lie, some something else. And uh, Bokeem Woodbine looked at her and said, in a diner, so why didn't you tell me about his nefarious ass? And I was. Anyway, if you're going to call them black movies in this, the best black movie of the 1990s is quite possibly the blackest movie of all of make damn near ever made. And the answer is Boomerang. And I am amazed as I'm sitting here in the chat room and I'm hearing people talk about how Boomerang ate Boomerang age poorly. And I'm like, what in the world are you talking about? Like, the only thing that really aged poorly in Boomerang is what was considered fly gear. You remember that one jacket, that red jacket that Eddie Murphy had that didn't have no lapels? You remember that? And by the way, Eddie Murphy was like showing up to work dressed like he was going to the club. Like, all his work gear, like, like I mean, yeah, Hugh Hefner was wearing that at work, quote-unquote, but not really. But Boomerang is incredible, right? Like, I think Boomerang is, in a lot of ways, a piece of genius. One thing about Boomerang is Boomerang is a huddling flick. And if you go back and watch the first house party and watch Boomerang, what you're going to notice is the brilliant way that Reggie uses class as a subtext. So, the David Allen Greer, John Witherspoon stuff, for example. That stuff is very, very much so about class. And also, the John Witherspoon Thanksgiving scene in Boomerang is quite possibly the funniest scene in the history of movies. Every single thing about it, the timing, the lines, all of it, it is quite possibly the funniest thing that I have ever seen in my life and by the way as absurd as it happened to be 
fully realistic. Totally realistic. Absolutely, that was something that could happen. And for that to be as absurd, it's absolutely something happened. Plus, like, the fascinating gender roles of it to flip up all of these things. And the stuff is, like, I mean, it's funny. Earth the kid on nasty ass. You got that, too, right? Like, like, no, 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 no. You're not telling me that any of these things were better movies than Boomerang. Got to be careful. Uh, well, nope, nope, well, no, no, no. I won't fully tell that story because it's one of the rules. I'm just telling you, be careful. Starting a situation with watching Boomerang. You never know where it might end. And I don't necessarily mean where it might end that night. I mean, where it might end. Like in a life way. Also, by the way, something very interesting about Boomerang. I could make an argument for you that Boomerang is Halle Berry's best performance as an actress. That's right. Her best performance as an actress. And don't you come up here talking this monster's ball thing. Not, do not talk that shit to me here. Not in front of all these people. We will clown you. Right. But here's why I make the argument that Halle Berry and Boomerang is quite possibly the best uh, acting performance of her career. It is quite possibly the best acting performance in her career because the plot of this movie involves Halle Berry being the not quite as attractive one. The plot of that movie involves Halle Berry being willing to go on dates with Gerard. Right. Right. Like, do you realize how good an actress Halle Berry had to be to act like she was the other one? When do you think the last time was in real life that Halle Berry had been the other one? Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, 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 no. Like, this was great acting. It was great acting until they needed Halle Berry to, like, operate with some emotional heft. Because then from there, Halle Berry ain't got no nuance. Halle Berry is not a dimmer switch when it comes to emotion in movies. It's on or it's off. And when I say on, I don't mean like on where you hit the switch when you first come in the house and then you get to the bedroom. I mean, get to the living room and then you hit another switch because you need more light there. Nah, man, Halle Berry walking in and she hitting the switch that light up the whole crib. Everything in the crib light up. You spending all the electric bill money right there with Halle Berry. That is the only way she knows how to do it. But part of the reason that it would have to be that way is, while Robin Gibbons does not do very much for me, Robin Gibbons got that whole, um, you want me and I know it and you can't do nothing about it thing. She got that down pat. Like in terms of sexy in that regard, yeah, that's part of how Halle Berry winds up being the other one. However, it still is a movie that involves you believing that Halle Berry, the other one, might get some run to a 1992 version of David Allen Greer. And while I acknowledge that everybody has a chance, and I've always said that everybody has a chance, they presented her in Boomerang as someone that Gerard would look at and say, you know what, I have a chance. And while Gerard may have had a chance, the character that Gerard was in that movie would never look at Halle Berry and think that he had a chance. I am trying to think of somebody that would like more comfortably fall into that role. Right. Because I feel like Sanaa Lathan is just in a very interesting space in this discussion because Sanaa Lathan, I think is very pretty, but Sanaa Lathan has an approachable, pretty sort of thing. You know what? Boom. I figured it out. You know who in modern times will play that role right there that we will work. Tracy Ellis Ross. 
That's why it would work. Because another level of that role that she has there is that Eddie Murphy is finally disregarding all these superficial things to finally follow his heart. And him disregarding superficial things led his heart to Halle Berry. Stop and think about that for a second. Right. Halle Berry did a great job playing in that movie, right? Now, you imagine you put Tracy Ellis Ross in that role. Now, I understand that Tracy Ellis Ross is enjoying a bit of a renaissance of sorts with a bunch of y'all talking about how attractive y'all think Tracy Ellis Ross is. And I say good for you, right? But Tracy Ellis Ross, regardless of what you believe, would then be attractive in a space where I don't believe that there'd be any, very many of you who would be like, oh, no, I wouldn't have no chance with Tracy Ellis Ross. That's not the look that she's really giving off. It's not the vibe that she, she's given off. Like, I feel like part of the Tracy Ellis Ross renaissance is like women who kind of uh, related to her character on Girlfriends and they see Tracy Ellis Ross making what they deem to be some level of glow up and they want to make that same glow up too, right? You see what I'm saying? But the fact that you were having the glow up means that at some point you might have been glowed down. That's what it is. But Tracy Ellis Ross, doesn't she give you the vibe of somebody that would give that Gerard dudes a run? Give him a chance to mess it up. You see what I'm saying? That's what I mean. And basically they had Halle Berry playing a Tracy Ellis Ross role. You tell me you couldn't see Tracy Ellis Ross playing the art teacher, teaching those kids? That also, by the way, another great scene in Boomerang is everything involving those kids doing them art school presentations. Like that, that right there uh, was hilarious. Wow, that was a lot of talking um, about Boomerang. I wasn't even prepared for that question, but there it was right there. So, yes, appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. I have to say, um, my good friends at Crowdcast have not made it easier for your boy to go through these questions. Wow, nobody seems to be asking a question about a thing that I wanted to talk about. So I feel like I'm just going to talk about it on my own. And when I talk about it, I'm going to need you guys to understand, because I know that some of you might at some point get a little bit uh, upset with me. But I noticed something, and I had to like call a couple of people to talk about it um, privately. And I had to like call them and talk about it privately because I had noticed that these internet streets had really gotten blazing hot and there wasn't room to talk about something that I wanted to talk about. And so I've been paying attention to this thing that had been going on with Donald Trump and uh the young man who was killed in Niger and uh, Frederica Wilson, the uh, congresswoman from Florida, the, the you know fallen soldier was in her district and she had known him for a very, very long time. And the whole thing about the phone call and everything else. And then, you know, cause this woman wears these cowboy hats. Uh, she says her granny used to wear cowboy hats. And so now she wears cowboy hats. And, um, People on the right began to ridicule her cowboy hats. I believe they found some tweet that Donald Trump Jr. sent saying that she looked like a stripper 
Um, I think your man, David Clark, has said something about her cowboy hats, even though he himself was wearing a cowboy hat. I'd seen some legislator of some sort in Texas um, had a picture of himself in a cowboy hat, and he was ridiculing this woman for her cowboy hat. And so this led to a couple of things for me. Number one, I wound up like looking her up. I had never looked her up before, uh, Congresswoman Wilson. And she appears to be an incredible lady. And one way that I feel like saying that it, I feel fairly confident saying that she seems to be a pretty incredible lady is she got a master's from the University of Miami in 1972. And I feel like they weren't letting a lot of non-incredible black people do anything at the University of Miami in 1972, right? Like, I mean, that's something that I really think that uh, I don't think that people do enough. Like, it, it, that's a pretty simple device to find out a lot of stuff with people. Like, if somebody... A black person got an advanced degree for one of these schools and one of these times. And there wasn't no slouches that they were allowing to exist in that space. Um, so that's one thing. And I, you know, saw what her rise was. You know, I think she's in her mid seventies, mid to late seventies, something like that. She looked real good for her age. Um, but I'm really. You got to. You really do have to be handling a situation. No, not going to put it like that. This is all. I want to make sure I get this right. Just so everybody understands. Okay. So like I was saying, a whole lot of them people were coming out and ridiculing this woman for her hats. And everybody popped up and, you know, said that she was wearing them hats in tribute to her grandmother, which is a very important thing to know. It's very touching. But I'm just curious, and you guys let me know. When will it be safe for us to tell some jokes about those hats? Like, how far into the rearview mirror does this situation have to get before... We can all get together as a family and talk about these hats the way that we would talk about these hats if this woman were not involved in a kerfuffle with Donald Trump. If she were involved in a beef with anybody else in the world, we are coming to talk about those hats. And it's not talking about that hat. It would be one thing if that were the only hat she had. But she has one of those hats in every color. And them hats got rhinestones on them. Them hats got glitter. Those hats got patterns. And she appears to have a zillion of them. And they're all the same hat. And that hat has its own particular ridiculousness, ridiculousness to it, that design of the hat. Now, 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 I'm going to give you some nuance on the cowboy hat, right? This, this is, this is in this for like 20 years now, because I went to college and when I was in college, there was this period of time where girls were wearing cowboy hats at the club. I don't know what it was about the cowboy hats, but they would be wearing cowboy hats at the club and like i really appreciated them wearing cowboy hats at the club because you were able to tell very quickly who was ridiculous 
right? I mean, it was, there was never one time that the girl that the cowboy had at the club was somebody I felt like I needed to be hollering at. In fact, I had a situation once with one girl I really liked her, and then she played me kind of crazy. And the next time I saw her at the club, she had on the cowboy hat. And I was like, you know what? I dodged a bullet. Because she the girl at the club with the cowboy hat. But again, it is a very particular cowboy hat, and it is like the same cowboy hat that uh, Frederica Wilson has. So let me do a little delineation here, right? Because while I do believe that there's a measure of hypocrisy that comes from David Clark in his cowboy hat saying that she looks ridiculous in her cowboy hat, I am halfway kind of sort of team David Clark on this one particular issue. Halfway. Um, the dude I saw in Texas with his cowboy hat in the same way. I was kind of like, okay, he would be on the same side of this because here's the difference. They got the cowboy hat where like it kind of goes out broad like it ain't the smoky the bear joint you know what i'm saying but it kind of it's got some space around it right like it's not turning up to the sky it's coming out like that's the way that it's going right it's not like going out all the way to the world but you know what i'm saying but i think you understand what i'm saying in the in the in the, in the design of the hat you go ahead and do that now what i want you to do is re- take a picture of david clark in his cowboy hat right now, take one of those pictures and put it next to a picture of that dude, uh, Roy. Roy Moore, is that his name? Your man's in Alabama, the one that was on stage that time with the pistol. Right? Is that his name? Roy Moore? Okay. Now, he got a cowboy hat that is much more in the model of the Frederica Wilson cowboy hat. And I want you to notice how his little bitty cowboy hat looks far more ridiculous than the larger ones, right? Go look how much more ridiculous the Roy Moore looks with his cowboy hat versus the David Clark cowboy hat. I mean, I mean, and look, if you think the cowboy hat overall is a ridiculous notion, I totally understand that. I'm just telling you, you would have to acknowledge that those are two different cowboy hats, and if one person walks in with the one cowboy hat, you'd be like, oh, okay, he's just a cowboy like that. But if somebody walk in with that Roy Moore hat, and you're like, yo, why are you wearing that ridiculous hat? And see, the problem is our lady Frederica, she got the Roy Moore hat. Like the little hat that still got like a little hat, a, like a, a little hat with a lot of personality is somehow twice as ridiculous. At least twice as ridiculous as like a midsize hat. Because if you got like a super giant hat, then that's just his own sort of thing. But like the super giant hat comes with a certain level of like majesty to it. Like you got to be a bad joker to be walking around with the big old giant hat. But the little bitty cowboy hat, the little bitty cowboy hat. Oh, come on, man. That's jokes. That's jokes every time. Every single time that is jokes. And that is how you know how wild this Trump thing is. That. We got a woman who wears those hats in all those different colors every single day, and we can't even tell no jokes about it. What is happening to the nation when we get, like, somebody out here? Those of y'all who go to church, y'all got a lady at y'all church that love hats. You know what I'm saying? Like, and y'all got jokes about her hats, too. they playful jokes. They're loving jokes, right? You're not clowning her, per se, Somewhere along the way, like do you, but like I talked about that woman being incredible because she got that uh, masters from Miami in 1972. Do you realize how incredible she had to be going out, like getting jobs and getting votes with them hats on? They said that she was the principal. She was a high, she was the school principal. 
It sounds like she was wearing them hats when she was the school principal. Like she at your elementary school giving you a whooping with a paddle. Put that hat on. Well, maybe not that hat. Because it's like she got like, like dozens of them. Do you know how dope, how dope she has to be to command respect with those hats on? Like when she talks, she means business. And if she don't mean business, she better mean business. Yeah. And we didn't get to talk about none of that. Why are they taking all these jokes away from me? Why are they taking all these jokes away from you? And, 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 by the way. Can I get some props for actually pulling this off? Because you may have been able to tell, I was a little bit nervous in the setup. I wasn't exactly sure if I could get this around to the point where we could all wind up just enjoying this and being what it was. Like, 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 can I get, can I get a little bit of props? Because, I mean, I do feel like you have to admit, this is some delicate terrain here, right? You know, I don't know if you've been paying attention. Well, I've been kind of hot at my job. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't really, there's some, there's some troubles that I don't necessarily need when it comes to it. But they will not, I repeat, not, they will not take away my ability to laugh at somebody's funny hat. Because I feel like once you make the decision that you're the person who wears hats, like you live with everything that comes with it. Once you make that call, that's just who you are, right? And like I said, you got to have it in you. And she made that decision. I'm going to be the one with all these hats. Just like my grandmama. That's what she's going to be. And when you tell people about this, I mean, you'd be very clear what I said about that brief way that I may have been Team David Clark. Like, you better be specific as hell if you tell anybody about this. I promise you, if you're not, I'm going to find you. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us here on the Evening Jones. You try to do this thing about once a week as we can. My man, Lance Gilliam, handles everything behind the scenes. Thank you, sir. Remember, if you can't watch the Evening Jones live, subscribe to the podcast. Subscribe at the iTunes Store. Subscribe at Stitcher Radio. Check us out at SoundCloud. We are also in the Google Play Store. Hope to talk to you guys next week. Take it easy.